Hi friends, Justin Hibbert here. Can I ask a huge favor? If you're blessed by this podcast, if you've learned something from it, if this has been helpful to you, would you do me a huge favor and buy me a cup of coffee? Okay, don't really buy me a cup of coffee, but pretend like every month you're taking me out for a cup of coffee. How do you do this? You become a patron. It's just $5 a month to become a patron. It's the cost of a cup of coffee. It's all I'm asking. If you could be so generous in doing that, it will go a long way in supporting me, this podcast, and some big plans I have for Why Catholic. All you need to do is go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Thank you for your help. God bless you. When I worked at a Catholic school, I shared an office with a rather grumpy, cantankerous older gentleman. He had worked at that school forever, and boy, was he a curmudgeon. At the time, I was not Catholic. In fact, I was a bivocational Baptist pastor. So every interaction I had with the Catholics at the school informed my opinion of Catholicism. I remember one school day, there was a school-wide mass, something that happened at least on a monthly basis. My cantankerous co-worker's wife, who also worked at the school, came into her office prompting her husband to join her for mass. Do I really have to go to mass? I just went on Sunday, he barked. I certainly didn't think my coworker was the poster child for the Catholic faith, but he embodied this common thing I often heard in Catholic circles, this sense of begrudged obligation. I have to go to confirmation classes. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to go to mass. In the evangelical world where I came from, religious obligation or duty is viewed upon negatively. Many would quickly label it as legalism. If one felt obligated to do something for God and did it begrudgingly, then it was no longer about grace, but about works. And many evangelicals are so sensitive about crossing this works-based line that some would say it's better not to do something at all than to do something out of begrudging obligation. So you can imagine how I felt about the Catholic notion of a holy day of obligation. It sounds incredibly heavy-handed and legalistic. So let's talk about it. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. In episode 73, we started a new series on Catholic ethos, ethos meaning the characteristic spirit of a community as manifested in its beliefs. Today, we're going to talk about this term called Holy Day of Obligation. First, we're going to define it. Secondly, I want to talk about it in terms of maturity. And third, I want to address language and specifically the term obligation. And lastly, I want to focus on the purpose. What is the point of a holy day of obligation? And we're going to try and accomplish this in 17 minutes or less. By the way, the reason I hone in on that 17-minute time length is because that's the TED Talk rule. The experts at TED think that a person's capacity to absorb a lecture caps out at around 17 minutes. Let's first define what a holy day of obligation is. A holy day of obligation means that Catholics who are capable need to attend Mass. In the 1917 Code of Canon Law, Canon 1246 states the following, quote, Sunday, on which by apostolic tradition the Paschal Mystery is celebrated, must be observed in the Universal Church as the primordial holy day of obligation. The following days must also be observed, the Nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Epiphany, the Ascension, the Body and Blood of Christ, Holy Mary, the Mother of God, Her Immaculate Conception, Her Assumption, St. Joseph, St. Peter and St. Paul the Apostles, and all saints. With the prior approval of the Apostolic See, however, the Conference of Bishops can suppress some of the Holy Days of Obligation or transfer them to a Sunday." End quote. 
Keep in mind that this canon law corresponds to the Latin or Roman Catholic Church. The Eastern Catholic Churches have their own canon laws and may have some different holy days of obligation. If you want to learn more about the distinctions between Eastern and Western Catholics, I highly recommend episode 63 called Not All Catholics Are Roman Catholic, as well as episode 72, which is my interview with Ukrainian Catholic deacon, Father Deacon Anthony Dragani. Also, certain regions may have a holy day of obligation which corresponds to their patron. For example, in Mexico, December 12th, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe is a holy day of obligation. If you want to learn more about Our Lady of Guadalupe, check out episode 24. Purposefully failing to attend Mass on a Sunday or one of these other solemnities is considered a moral sin. It's one thing if your car breaks down on the way to Mass, prohibiting you from attending Mass. It's another thing to say, I think I'd rather stay home and watch football than go to church. Parishes really try to ensure that it's difficult to miss Mass on a Holy Day of Obligation, so they'll typically hold a vigil Mass on the night before a Holy Day, as well as a number of Masses on the Holy Day. For example, our parish offers a Saturday evening Mass and four Masses on Sunday in various languages. There's been a couple of times where I'll attend Mass at the Cathedral or another parish in the Salt Lake Valley about an hour from me because, for whatever reason, I can't make the other times at my local parishes. I found that it's really hard to completely miss Mass on a holy day. Even if you're traveling, local priests will come to airport chapels in order to offer Mass on Sundays. Now, if I put my evangelical hat back on, I can see how I would have called this legalism. I can hear my old self criticizing the Catholic me by saying, do you really think God is that concerned about attending church? For that reason, it's important to keep in mind what attending Mass is all about. We don't merely attend Mass. Mass isn't anything like what Protestants call attending church. Mass is the stunning mystery where we gather as a community, the scriptures are proclaimed, and the portal between heaven and earth is opened as Jesus reveals himself in bread and wine, pouring out his grace on us. We are like the Hebrews, starving sojourners in the wilderness, waking up to find a plethora of heavenly manna. If we don't eat, we will starve. I have a friend named Heather who is proactive about feeding her kids. And by that, I mean she ensures all of her kids get three meals a day. In our family, generally breakfast and lunch are on your own and we'll eat dinner together. But what Heather is really attuned to is how her kids behave when their energy levels are low. When I first stayed overnight with her family, I was like, whoa, we're eating again. Because normally I just might graze here and there instead of eating a proper meal three times a day. But when I understood the purpose of proactively feeding her children before her children's energy levels dropped and they became irritable, I was like, wow, her approach makes a ton of sense. This is what we believe about the Eucharist. It's not merely a symbol. We believe, as Jesus tells us in John 6, that the Eucharist is essential food that provides salvation. In that passage, Jesus calls himself the bread of life, creating an analogy to the manna that God provided for the Hebrews in the wilderness. If we follow that analogy, then consuming that bread is the only way to live. This is what's so heartbreaking about Catholics who casually attend Mass. They're spiritually starving, they're emaciated, and they don't even realize it. But like Heather understands what her children need, so our Heavenly Father understands what we need as well. When it comes to Mass, there are two extremes of Mass-goers. There's one who can't get enough of Mass because they recognize that this is Jesus. Not only are they at Mass every Sunday, but they faithfully attend daily Mass. Why would I want to be anywhere else, they think. They are like the Hebrews in the wilderness who wake up and gather manna in the morning, knowing that they need to eat that day. 
Then there's the other type that thinks, okay, I guess maybe we should go to Mass on Christmas because we're Catholic. They completely miss the point of Mass. They think of it as something they should do because they're Catholic rather than something they should do to live. One asks the question, how can I get more of this? The other asks, what's the minimum amount that I have to do? The latter reminds me of my days as a high school teacher. I can't tell you how many times a student asked, what's the minimum I have to do to get an A or B or even just a pass? It reminds me of a saying my high school guidance counselor would repeat, minimums become maximums. She'd say, to graduate high school, you're required to have two years of a foreign language. That's all you're obligated to do. But if you want to get into certain schools, you're going to need four years of a foreign language. So if you only do the minimum obligation, you'll only be able to get into schools that require nothing more than two years of a world language. In other words, an immature student asks, What's the minimum amount that I have to do to get by? A mature student thinks, what do I do now in order to maximize my results down the road? A couple of episodes ago, we focused on the Catholic ethos, faith-seeking understanding. I mentioned that Jesus calls us to a childlike faith, but that is different from a childish faith. As we mature, our faith should seek understanding about why it is we believe what we believe without ever losing that childlike wonder. Now that we've defined a holy day of obligation, now that we've talked about it in terms of maturity, let's address the language of the term obligation. Coming from the evangelical world, the phrase holy day of obligation makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Many evangelicals would be quick to label this as legalism because it's focusing on us and our works rather than faith and grace. The word obligation seems so heavy-handed, like a chore. First, I think it's important to understand how language evolves as society evolves. The term obligation probably meant something pretty significant in 1917 and before, but a hundred years later, it's become a negative connotation. As I was reflecting on why does obligation feel negative to me, the hypothesis I've come up with is that it's because I have all sorts of options that my ancestors did not have. In 1917, there was no television, no easy way to travel, no work from home options, no option to not enlist in the military. My obligations are much different. I have to pay taxes and bills, which is probably why the term obligation seems negative. However, in some countries, and even in mine in another era, obligation likely was akin to patriotic duty. It's like saying, this is what I do because I've committed to being a part of this group. When I was a pastor, a friend and parishioner of mine who was a counselor often encouraged me to use the term, I get to, rather than I have to. He'd say, don't tell the congregation they have to do something. Frame it to them as an opportunity or a privilege. Now, we had the exact same goal, but we were using different words in a way that appealed to society by using terminology that they would better relate to. Let me speak to my catechists out there. So many parents just drop off their children for confirmation class and tell them this is something they have to do. The kids don't know why. In fact, it might even be a mandate from a grandparent with financial strings attached. So this poor kid, who probably only attends Mass once or twice a year, if that, is stepping into the classroom and then going to Mass because they've been told they have to. They've probably been given a very poor reason as to why. It might be because you're Catholic or your grandmother says so, or because this is what I did when I was your age, or this is a rite of passage. All of those are terribly insufficient answers. So you poor teachers from the get-go have to teach kids that resent Catholicism. 
So let me encourage you to flip the language upside down. Instead of this is what you have to do or this is what you're supposed to do, help them to see the mystery and wonder of heaven that compels us to respond. I was listening to an episode of the podcast Jesuitical called When Catholic Doctrine Can Change and When It Can't. I've linked to the episode in the show notes. In this episode, they interviewed Richard Gallerditz, the Joseph Professor of Catholic Systematic Theology at Boston College. I was struck by his comments on the Second Vatican Council. In his opinion, he felt that one of the biggest shifts in Catholicism with respect to the Second Vatican Council was a change in approach from command and obey to proclaim and respond. I think one of the challenges of parenting is that there comes a point where we have to make the switch with respect to communicating with our kids, where we go from command and obey to proclaim and respond. When they're little, we can say things like, don't do this or do this, or we're going to church today. When they're older, they have choices. They can stay home by themselves, for example. Now we have to shift our language to relate to a child that has more autonomy. How do we go from you will do this to something more positive, like we have the opportunity to do this? It may seem like manipulation, but it's not. It's using language in a way that relates to your audience. In a sense, it's change management. When I would talk to school leaders about implementing a major piece of software, I would talk to them about how to get their teachers on board. They had to provide three things, communication, training, and user engagement. In other words, they had to over-communicate and go out of their way to ensure that everyone felt like they were in the loop and understood the expectations. Secondly, they had to provide lots of training to help teachers integrate the software into their daily lives. And thirdly, they had to help the teachers understand what was in it for them. The last part is huge when it comes to Holy Days of Obligation. What's in it for you and those around you, like your children or your confirmation students? What's being proclaimed that demands our response? And this is really where we get into the wonder, the mystery, and the miraculous. This is where we need to engage the imagination because especially for an uncatechized child or a poorly catechized child, they probably have very little understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, why some Jewish man would die for them, and why that matters 2,000 years later. We all have things in life that call out and compel us to respond. We see a movie trailer and think, I've got to go see that movie. We see a car and think, I've got to buy that car. We see that handsome man or that beautiful girl, and we think, I want to fall in love with them. It's not a sense of duty or obligation, but a consuming response to a proclamation. Now that we've defined a holy day of obligation, talked about it in terms of maturity, discussed the word obligation, and maybe other words that might fit better, let's talk about the purpose. You know, sometimes I don't feel like going to Mass. I imagine we all have those days. Even when I get there, my mind's distracted, and I feel like I'm only there out of a sense of obligation. I struggle to feel that proclamation that compels me to respond, because I feel compelled to be in my bed. Obviously, this is not a deal. Obviously, our hearts should be so connected with God that we want to be in his presence, desperate for the pouring out of his grace. But sometimes we're just not in that headspace. I recently attended a retreat at a Trappist monastery. They have a very specific cadence with respect to their responses. For example, when the priest says, peace be with you, instead of rushing to say and with your spirit, it's like they count to two before responding. It goes more like this, peace be with you and with your spirit. It was rather endearing on the first day we joined them for Mass. By the fourth day, I was exhausted, and the slow pace of Mass was starting to irritate me. I was like, I'm here, God. I'm trying. I'm really trying. 
And this is what I love about Holy Days of Obligation. They invite us to show up, and showing up is a huge part of winning the battle. We believe that the Eucharist does what we say it does. We believe that it provides food for the journey, salvation for our souls, and it would be a shame to miss out on it because we don't feel like it. Faith is not a feeling. Faith often is showing up even when we don't want to or feel like it. I imagine Abraham was not particularly eager to bring Isaac, his son, to the top of Mount Moriah to be sacrificed, but he showed up, and then God showed up and showed Abraham amazing grace. The purpose of a holy day of obligation is conversion. God is calling us to come and see just how great and good he is, and the only way we'll see that is if we start by showing up. I can't tell you how many times I just showed up to Mass, and then I was like, wow, God, you're so good to me. Your grace isn't dependent on my feelings or eagerness. I showed up and gave maybe 8% of the devotion I should have, but Jesus, you gave 100%. And that realization of God's faithfulness converts me. It makes me see God's strength in my weakness. So for those of you who wake up and don't feel like going to Mass, those of you who think you can't possibly make Mass work with a crazy schedule that you have going on, to those of you who feel like you've messed up too much this week to be in the presence of Jesus, a holy day of obligation is an invitation to, at the very least, just show up and experience the grandiose grace of the God of the universe and His intense love for you. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it and patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.